Hello, listeners. I'm Zach. And I'm Valina. We're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to This House Was Never Meant to Be a Podcast. We're going to cover all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on. And today, we will be continuing Tales from the Dark Side with the episode Inside the Closet. And oh my gosh, I am so excited to finally get to talk about this episode. This episode stars Fritz Weaver as Dr. Fenner, Roberta Weiss as Gail Ainsley, and is directed by Tom Savini, who you might know from Friday the 13th. He did the special effects and the makeup. He also did, I mean, special effects and makeup for so many other horror movies, like Mm -hmm. Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and he's even directed several horror movies himself, including the Night of the Living Dead 1990 remake. Hmm. And, of course, he's acted in several things and is the stuntman in several things. He, he's done a whole lot in horror. Mm-hmm. He's a Swiss army blade <laughs> of, uh, of Hollywood. Yes, particularly <laughs> horror movies. And the writer, notably, is Michael McDowell, who wrote the short story that the last episode, Slippage, was based off of. Hmm. Yeah, and he'll continue to write more episodes for this show, too. But it's just kind of interesting to note that he is also the writer for this. Yeah, I feel like with a show like this, you generally have names that will keep popping back up every once in a while. Yeah, like the producer, the directors, and often the writers and the teleplay writers, they also reappear quite frequently. But mm-hmm. it's not that frequent that someone whose story was used to make an episode also shows back up as a writer, at least not in this show so far. Mm-hmm. I know that's common for like The Twilight Zone and several other... Uh, <laughs> anthology series so valina why don't you spin us this tale of inside the closet well inside the closet begins not inside of a closet but on the outside of the house Hmm. it's a ginormous house that is like three stories and it's shown at night it's as a matter of fact every single time this house from the outside shows up it is at night so you cannot tell what color it is but it looks black then as the credits start to roll it's directed by Tom Savini, it's written by Michael McDowell, these people showing up. As these credits are rolling, it shows you a bunch of taxidermied heads. One of them is some kind of a dog. It's like a canine of some sort. I don't really know what it is. It's not really a dog, but it looks like a dog. It looks like something between a hyena and a like German Shepherd, somewhere around there. Yeah, it's really cute and it's it's it's, it's kind of small. It's got like rounded ears. I've never really seen a dog like that, but or any kind of a canine like that actually. So I'm not really sure what it actually is. Mm-hmm. But it shows that. Then it shows multiple castings of primate jaws, as well as like two primate skulls of some kind, and. I mean, I'm no anthropologist. I have no idea if these are supposed to be, like, modern primates or, like, proto-humans. It's, I mean, I don't know. To someone in the know, it might be very clear, but not to me. And there's something playing over this, right? There's a a phonograph playing somewhere in the house, and it's playing a, a song. Yes, it's playing a very familiar classical song. If you've, like, watched anything, you've heard this song before. As a matter of fact, it is Mozart Symphony Number no. 40, but of course me telling you that is not going to make you know what it is. I had to look it up myself, but it is a very familiar song. And it's the very first time I think this show has actually used 
like classical music. And this episode, rather unlike Mookie and Pookie, has very appropriately chosen music. As a matter of fact, this episode is very notable for how good the music choices are. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is just the very first bit of it. And what it's really for is to show you that the man that lives in this house is very classy. Mm -hmm. Right, he's listening and to... has a lot of animals in his life. Yes, like that's an important aspect it, of it. He's yes, he's listening to Mozart. He's got this ginormous house. You don't see his face yet, but you see him sitting at a table with this really old school looking radio that he turns off because a knocking appears just to sort of disturb him. So he turns off the radio. He puts down a like a pipe that he's smoking, like an old school kind of a pipe. And he also puts down this old leathery book. So you know he's super classy and intelligent. Sadly, we couldn't quite figure out what the book was. Like, the title of the book on the spine is so faded you can't read it. And I tried very hard to read it, but it's just illegible at the angle and how faded it is. So All you need to know is that it's an old book and therefore... He's very smart. Yes. <laughs> That's what anyone reads those old books for, is to look very smart. Yeah, it's like having a poster of Einstein in your room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a very quick shortcut. <laughs> so either way, he opens the door, and there's this girl, and she says, Oh, I called, and she reveals that she's a graduate student, and she has rented a room in this mouse house. So... They talk a little bit, so you get to learn that he's a professor slash researcher slash administrator at the college, at a veterinary college, and that he's a very strict landlord. Now, he's very begrudgingly renting her this room. Mm -hmm. He mentions that no one has rented this room before because he's very, very strict. He needs absolute quiet because he's so busy, and he doesn't want her making loud noises, watching television, or having a quote-unquote boyfriends tromping about all hours of the night. Like, there's an army of boyfriends she has that she's planning on just going into the room and stomping on the floor. I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever my girlfriend would ever ask me out, like, you know I'm going to go around the room death marching, you know? <laughs> like, I'm not just going to sit there not doing that. Called moshing, dude. <laughs> So he takes her up to her room, which he says is on the third floor, and reveals that this room once belonged to his daughter. He doesn't really go into too much detail at this time about mm. that, but she notices that there's a, a closet in the room, and he tells her, well, the closet door is locked. I lost the keys, so instead, if you need to put your clothes away, I have this wardrobe in here, and if that's not enough space for you, you, you can, can use, use the closet the downstairs. downstairs. And, of course, the door is exactly half the size as a normal door is. She actually makes mention of this, saying, why is the door so small? But by this time, the man, whose name is Dr. Fenner, has left. Oh, and if I didn't mention it before, he's, his name is Dr. Fenner. Her name is <laughs> Gail Ainsley. So in the next scene, it shows her unpacking her clothes, settling into the room. And it's nighttime. And I cannot tell what the heck she is wearing. It is like this white 
dress with pearls, but at first I thought it was a nightgown. But it looks too fancy to be a nightgown, but she's unpacking, so I'm not really sure she's going out to a club <laughs> or what. But she's dressed rather inappropriately for settling in, and it's definitely different clothes from what she was wearing before, which mm. is why I thought it was a nightgown to begin with. But it's it's made unclear. She changes clothes like almost every other scene to show you the passage of time in this. Mm -hmm. But this was a little bit confusing because it looked like it was just right then. It looked like this was just two seconds afterwards, and all of a sudden she's wearing different clothes. Mm -hmm. But she starts unpacking. And it goes back down to Dr. Fenner downstairs. And he looks upstairs. And she, I'm not sure. She's not making any real noises. She's just unpacking. And he gets really angry and he kicks her box of books. <laughs> yeah. And the camera pans over to the monkey head that is one of the taxidermied heads he has on the wall. Just to remind you that it exists and it is there and it's kind of horrifying. <laughs> And then later goes back to Gail, who is now asleep, and her bare foot is hanging off the side of the bed. Everyone's worst nightmare. Yes. <laughs> and it zooms past her foot, so it's still in the frame, and you see the little closet door slowly starting to open. Oof. Which is a very kind of terrifying thing. If you're like us, <laughs> you grew up with stories of like the toe eater or the toe stealer that if you're sleeping in bed and your foot is over the side, then it's going to come and eat your toes and you're going to wake up and you're not going to have any toes left. So it's, it, it kind of is preying on this childish fear that you should never have your feet hanging over the side. It's, it's very creepy and it's also very effective. So the next day or next morning, Gail is at the top of the stairs on the, I guess, the first floor technically telling Dr. Fenner, hey, you forgot to give me the keys last night. Before you leave, you know, you mm -hmm. better hand those over. Oh, yes, here you go. And mm. she, They're all labeled. And she also mentions there was a rat in a room. And he's just like... <laughs> Please, the only rats that are in here are in formaldehyde. And he's just about to step out the door. <laughs> and then she says, well, this rat was alive. It was like scratching at our door last night in the closet. And I mean, he basically doesn't believe her at all. And he just leaves. So she decides to take matters in her own hands. And she tries to open the door. It doesn't work because the door's like locked. So she just puts a rat trap that she's gotten and set and just puts it next to the door. But then the door just pops open of its own accord. So she just sticks the rat trap in there. She kind of looks in there and decides she sees nothing, but you know, she's going to stick the rat trap in there anyway. Now, why did this door open all of a sudden since there's nothing in there? It just likes to open and close of its own accord. Mm, something fishy's going on. Yes, and I do want to note that this is the start of the creepy music that starts playing. And it's very notable because the music, once it starts going, it really starts building up. Mm -hmm. And this is, it really sets the tension here. Yeah, there's like a synthesizer type of like heavily 80s type of instrument, right? It's sort of. It, it varies. At this point? No, no. At this point, it is just, I mean, to my rather untrained ears, flutes kind of wibbly wobbling this kind of a sound and then like a trumpet kind of interrupting every couple of seconds hmm. and it definitely instrumental and the synthesizer doesn't really hit until things are actually happening this is just the kind of build up the build up this is the the, the hint at the anticipation to come. yeah there's no synthesizers yet so after she sets the trap the next scene is 
slides of what is Heratonis... Um, <laughs> it's a tough name to pronounce. Yes, bear it with is. us. <laughs> it's her. Oh my goodness! I literally <laughs> listened to how to pronounce this in preparation, and I cannot see it. Hieronymus botched. Oh my god! I really botched that. <laughs> Hieronymus botches. Um, what is it? It's the hell panel from the Garden of Earthly Delights. And if you have not seen it, like, look that up. It, it is, is horrifying. Insane. This is literally like late uh, Netherlands Renaissance. No, no, not late. Early. It's very early. It's like the early 1500s. And it is like horrifying. It is like really great. It's very abstract. Not abstract. It's 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 very surreal, but yeah, painted very realistically. It's very mm-hmm. creepy. It's these basically it's hell, right? And it's disturbing. It's not like gory necessarily but there is kind of weird and freaky imagery within the paintings yeah it's like if salvador dali just decided maybe he wanted to just try to depict hell that's basically what you're getting out of him it's awesome and he's like freaking renaissance and it is super super cool but seriously look that up the garden of earthly delights um hieronymus bach if you can if you can spell that i can barely pronounce that So she's looking at these because, you know, she's an art student. And also, it does set a, a mood here. Like, mm-hmm. oh, look, literal hell. And she hears the rat trap go off. And there's a really cool shot with the pictures of hell behind her. And she, you see her, her side. slides Yeah, in. her side profile just completely dark. It's, it's beautiful. So she turns on the lamp. And she's, like, facing the door like she was waiting for this. And she's used a closet door. And she goes over there and she cannot open it. So the music starts, and it really is up and up the tension. It's like, ooh, there's something in there. And so she fails to open the door. The next scene is her laying in bed. And I got to mention, it is light outside. She's going to bed heck early. It is yeah. like 7 o'clock, maybe 8 o'clock at the absolute latest. Sun's still out, technically. Yeah, it could be day for night, but I don't know. It's weird when people go to bed that early. I mean, you don't go to bed until like 1230 at the like earliest so she's laying in bed and then we get monster point of view something is Mm. coming out of the closet and we are looking through its eyes it is like what three feet tall perhaps it doesn't i mean it uses that door as a real door so it's Mm -hmm. pretty small so it just runs over there and it just like immediately skitters underneath her bed she wakes up and she sees that the door is open and the second she sees that it's open it swings half closed of its own accord. There's literally nothing there touching it, but the door still swings closed, like halfway. It, it just stops. Like, it has this momentum that goes nowhere. Like, it doesn't even close all the way, which is a bit weird. Mm. It is not explained either. So she grabs this giant flashlight, and... Uh, I think they're called mag lights. Mag lights. Yeah. Well, she drives... I mean, you could... It's a humongous freaking flashlight. She grabs that, and she immediately looks inside the closet, which I certainly wouldn't do if I thought it was a rat. I know. But... She looks in there. I mean, to be fair, she heard the trap go off. She probably is assuming it's dead. But if the door opened, it's not dead yet, or there's more in there. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't look in there at night. Like, and she just crawls on the ground, too. She's close enough for that rat to jump on your chest or just touch (laughs) you. But it's empty. There's nothing in there. She looks in it, kind of investigates it, looks at the corners. And I'm not sure if this is, like, intentional, but there's, like, scratches on the corners. Mm. Which is a bit weird, and I'm not really sure if that's trying to imply something about the way the closet is. If there's, like, a secret entrance at the back of the closet. She never touches it. She just looks at it, so we don't really know. 
But she does focus on the corners, which, again, have scratches. Mm-hmm. So she, finding nothing, decides to go back to bed. And, of course, the music is telling us that it's not over yet. Um, <laughs> she gets into bed. And as she swings her feet up off the ground, a pale, gross hand reaches out and tries to grab her and misses. And, of course, the music, boo scary. It's a sting. <laughs> yes, scary sting. So she just lays in bed, and it shows her face, like a close-up of her face, laying in bed. And then the camera pans... Keep in mind, her eyes are wide open. Yeah, she, she hasn't is fallen not asleep. asleep. She ain't gonna have any sleep tonight. Mm, she's hardcore concentrating, too. And the camera pans down directly beneath her, underneath the bed, is the most disgusting pair of eyes you can mm-hmm. possibly imagine. They're nasty, pinkish-red eyes that are all... Like they're like gooey on yeah, the outside. Like she's crying thick they're... ketchup. It's gross. <laughs> she's got deep res- like this recessed sockets and just purple around the eyes, and it's just nasty. And it blinks a couple of times. Ugh, and it moves all the goo around her eyes. <laughs> it's so gross. Ugh. It's like what an eye infection would look like. Ew! If it was bleeding, like <sighs> thick gooey blood. Ugh. It's so gross. (laughs) Very effective, though. Oh, yes, it is very effective. So the next morning, she is putting her hairdryer away underneath her bed in a box. And then Dr. Fenner is, like, knocking at her door. You know, she gets up and she says, hey, there is totally a rat. I put a rat trap inside. Did you catch anything? (laughs) And she says, no, the trap was empty. She couldn't find it. Oh, no, no, right. She says, nothing. The trap disappeared. And, of course, he starts mocking her again. Like, every time the rat is mentioned, he gets kind of on his high horse. Like, there's no, there's no rats here. This and that. He kind of makes fun of her. And here, when she says the rat disappeared, he, he kind of, like, grins and says, Do you think that the rat had appropriated it for its own uses? And, of course... She says, well, I mean, it did disappear. And he makes just more sarcastic comments about the rat being, you know, it's super smart if it knows to move a a rat. Do you think it's been feeding on, what was it called? Rutabagas. Rutabagas? Yeah. And she's like, Rutabagas? It's a brain food. Yes. I I guess a rat is smart enough to avoid a trap. It's certainly not smart enough to rearrange the furniture. Yes. (laughs) I felt like the comment about Rutabagas was bizarre. I'm like, the hell is the reason, Vega? <laughs> well, I mean, you're in exactly the main character's shoes. She's like, what? <laughs> and I, I straight up looked it up because I wanted to know. It's basically a weird kind of turnip. It's, <laughs> I mean, I guess specifically it's a kind of turmin, blah, blah, blah. it's a kind of turnip that they used to use for jack-o'-lanterns before they decided to use pumpkins. Really? Yep. That's the most interesting thing about a rutabaga you're going to know today, folks. <laughs> Otherwise, it's, almost, it's a turnip. I mean, goodness me. And I found nothing on the Wikipedia article about being used for brain food, like you said. Huh. As a matter of fact, it releases um, a cyanide. Little bits. Hmm. I think that's the, the opposite of brain food, now that I think about it. <laughs> it's like potassium cyanide or something. Something you actually do need in small amounts. You just do... I mean, it's not poisonous. Oh, but... is that the same kind of cyanide that's in, like, apple seeds or something? Yeah. Oh, Okay. She actually asks him what's behind the closet door, and he rather evasively says that it's attic space that's been blocked off. But this guy, he is not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he 
he honestly sounds like he's lying. I mean, he just straight up sounds like he's he's lying about it and doesn't want her up there. Which is weird because I was like, I mean, this is his house. If he didn't want her up there, he could just straight up say you're not allowed up there. He didn't even have to lie about I mean, it. up there is relative. They're on the third floor and it's connected to the attic. Well, yeah. I mean, he does say that the closet... Directly connects to attic space. Yeah. But again, like, he, he doesn't have to, you know... I mean, lie. doesn't have to lie. You yeah. just say, you know, just stay out of there. You know, I'm going yeah, to add there. Yeah. 35 bucks to your rent. <laughs> so the next scene shows her returning home, presumably from school. She goes to her room and she sees the door swinging open, the closet door. And it's filled with these frilly dresses and children's toys, like baby dolls. Yeah, to be clear, they're children's dresses. They're, yes. They're, they're uh, ba- baby or young girl dresses. I mean, they're small. Yeah. Uh, they're kids, what, what little kids would wear. Little foo-foo dresses and little cutesy dolls and oh, all Oh, they're that. not cutesy. Oh. They're baby dolls. Uh, all I baby mean, dolls are creepy. They're creepy baby dolls. And at this point, the music starts up again. And as opposed to having those kind of subtle instruments without, I mean, of course, not the music stings. Those are always not subtle. But mm-hmm. as opposed to having the music that it's been having now there is suddenly an opera singer involved and this i mean this really ups the tension like you hear opera singing where when there wasn't there before Mm. it's like oh geez it got real now and she of course immediately goes to the closet and starts digging around and with all the mentioning of the rat trap being missing you know exactly what is going to happen and then that music mm-hmm. just and makes it so much worse she's reaching her arm all the way into the closet mm-hmm. where she's not looking and she's she has her head outside of the closet and reaching in and, and then it snaps on her fingers. She screams. She pulls her hand out. The rat trap is snapped on them. She pulls it off and runs to her little kitchenette, which is very tiny. And, of course, she turns back to face the closet, and the closet door just swings shut of its own accord. And she's holding her hand to her chest, which is bleeding now. And, of course, we get this nice shot of her white canvas shoes and a single drop of blood landing on it. And the next... I guess scene it's it's pretty much exactly that same moment but you see the phone ringing and she's trying to open the door and she's already bandaged her hand but it's she's wearing the same clothing which tells you it's the same day because she's literally constantly just, changing just a clothing. little bit afterwards yes and the phone is ringing we don't know who's calling but it stops and then the door is knocking from oh, downstairs i want to mention while she's trying to jiggle the door open she gets mad and she like slams the door with her hand that's bandaged <laughs> and she like flicks her hand in pain a bit and like just holds onto her finger i just did that out of anger and i forgot my hand was hurting <laughs> it's a very real kind of a scene yeah <laughs> so she hears the door and she angrily says about time he got back And, of course, she goes downstairs. And now this moment feels quite a lot like a confrontation because things have really reached their peak. She's been physically harmed by this non-existent rat Mm. (laughs) that also can make freaking baby clothes and baby dolls appear in a closet at random. So there's something really bizarre afoot now when she's kind of catching on. Mm -hmm. So she goes downstairs to talk to Dr. Fenner, and she's asking about the room. And he reveals more about his daughter. His daughter is named Margaret, mm-hmm. and that he paid for her college oh, paid education. For her college years and two grad schools, and all she now she does is paint houses. Yes, he's very bitter about it. 
She lives in Vermont with her husband, and he does not approve. <laughs> and Gail asks, well, what became of your wife? And he says... A, a lump. And she's like, a lump? And he's like, a lump in her breast. And a mastectomy. Second lump. Double mastectomy. Then chemotherapy. Uh, her spleen, liver, death. From there, boy? Yeah, yeah, he says, like, spleen, liver, death, and inheritance taxes. And all the while, he's he's opening letters. Yeah, with a knife. With, with a letter opener. Well, it's, it's basically a knife. <laughs> it, all letter openers are knives. Yes. But, uh... He's opening it, and he's like, he says the mastectomy, he, he rips it open. Every time, he's making a cut with mastectomy, until the inheritance taxes is the last cut. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a lot of anger in this man, and mm-hmm. just unhappiness in general. And regards- I want to I mention something really important about this scene, is the camera, which is very odd to bring up in a show. Because usually cameras don't have a whole lot of thought put into them normally. But in this scene, we have the camera backing away from Gale and the camera zooming in on Dr. Fenner. Which is a very, very interesting visual in this scene. Because it is more of Gale learning more about Dr. Fenner, and this is kind of a visual way of showing her focus as becoming more on him. Yes, and it really does kind of lend to the feeling of confrontation here. Mm-hmm. Particularly because she's standing on the stairs, kind of above him, but at the same time, when it does zoom out, it makes her look more like a kid. Hmm. Because you have, like, the entire staircase behind her. But she's, like, wearing some sort of, like, a skirt and, like, this pink t-shirt. Not t-shirt, but, like, a frilly kind of a shirt. But... She mentioned that she got home from school and she couldn't open the closet door. And, of course, he says, No, of course not. I told you that when you moved in. Yeah, and she insists that she had it open before, and now it's not opening. And, of course, for him, it's a non-issue. It's like, well, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't open or not because we have this whole issue settled before you even got here. So, with that scene over, it is now nighttime, and she's laying in bed when the closet door opens Again, now she's ready. Now she is wearing a nightgown, and it's funny because she has like a different nightgown for every time she goes to bed. You think you'd wear the same one, but nope. So she's wearing this giant nightgown. She gets that mag light again, and she literally gets she, like, like on her hands. Up. Yeah, she she like gets on her hands and knees. She starts crawling towards that door, holding the light in front of her. No, it is not on. She's preparing it. So when she gets to the door, which is open, mind you, she then turns the light on and sees the monster and all its horrifying glory. She screams bloody murder. No, what, what did this monster look like? Well, so we can, we can get the full experience of what she saw. Well, considering it's pretty short, it's probably about her height as she's kneeling down. It is pale. We know its eyes are just gag-inducing. <laughs> um, it's got like a... Ten sharp teeth. <laughs> and it is very simian. Mm-hmm. It has lo- long arms with very sharp claws that are kind of, it's kind of webbed its fingers a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And it's got short, stumpy kind of legs. And it's it's like deathly pale. It's like, it's like pure white with like grayish, greenish, maybe even purplish hues to it. Yeah. So it's got it, these little tiny ears. And it, and it makes this kind of like a gross breathy noise. Ah. 
It can, like, look different like that. It's like... Somewhere between that. Like, someone's clearing their throat. And she screams, and she turns in, like... Things are kind of slowing down. Like, we're getting mm. to slow motion here. She turns around to run. It leaps onto her back. It scratches her shoulder and, and leaves toenails dead. Like, just dig into her back, and it, it just tears her shoulder open, grabbing onto her hair. Yes, and it starts attacking at her face, and you hear these gross, stabby sounds. I actually thought her eyes were getting gouged out, but they're not. <laughs> and she screams and falls backwards. That's not quite how momentum works, but, um, okay, it, it pulls looks like backwards. she's pulled backwards. Yes, but it's not possible. It landed on her back, and she's struggling it with on her back for several minutes, and then all of a sudden, it's like she's yanked backwards. I almost half believe this thing has got psychic powers. It keeps shutting and closing the door <laughs> without touching it, and then it does this. But she falls onto her back, and you hear this cracking noise, and she has this frozen shock on her face, and she's no longer moving. So she's either dead or her neck is just broken. But the thing makes the noises again, <laughs> and it drags her into the closet. The door... Relatively quickly for how small it is. Yeah, the door shuts. I consider this as well. The, the closet is not that big. So it's dragging her whole body into the tiny closet. There's not enough room unless it's like folding her in half. Or what I sort of suspect is that there's probably a trap door at the back of that door. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that might be the reason why Dr. Fenner didn't want her back there. Because then she'd see a door in the back of her closet, right? I mean, that's I mean, completely an utter speculation, but it's possible. Anyhow, next morning. Oh, actually, before I get to the next morning, because I've been mentioning music this entire time, there's this kind of an odd music that plays. Mm-hmm. It's like this very gentle morning mood music. And so, and, and this plays basically upon her death and as she's being dragged back. And the next morning, this, this music is continuously playing, like unbroken, it goes into the next scene. And it's, it, it feels a lot different in, this, in the morning. Uh, it feels like it should, right? Nice and not happy exactly, but I don't know, soft, slightly moody. So it goes to Dr. Fenner, who's talking on the phone with who is clearly Gail's mom. And he's saying he's not heard from Gail. No, I rented her a room. I didn't become her legal guardian. <laughs> yes, it's pretty funny. And you see the creature behind him out of focus and it's a really good shot he's sitting on the phone in the foreground and in the back you can see the stairs and they're out of focus and you can see the creature walking down the stairs coming towards him but it gets to a certain point where you can no longer see it um and he's still on the phone and he's not he doesn't want to like do anything else like he completely does not want to have to help gail's mom find what happened to gail at all he does not care he wants nothing to do with it and eventually hangs up and suddenly he just starts not screaming but he kind of goes ah just just painful painful yelling yes and he turns and the creature is hugging his leg and smiling up at him and he just turns, and he's happy to see the creature. He picks her up and starts goo-gooing her and just saying things like, Oh, who's a pretty girl? He, like, kisses her on the hand. <laughs> yeah, and, and she's just very happy looking. Like, she's smiling, and she just looks a little happy. She looks happy, and he's, you know, he's hugging her, goo-gooing her, telling you she's a pretty girl, and he's, yes, he's going to read her story. We're going to read you a story. Would you like that? 
Yeah, yeah, come here, give me a hug, give me. <laughs> yeah, he like goes around the, the rest of the the episode, which is like not very long. You know, he starts he 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 lifts her up and he hugs her and he starts taking her upstairs, and credits roll. All the while, continuing to goo goo her and oh, we're gonna read a nice story and all that. I mean, that's where it ends. So it's a bit of a shock on the first time through. <laughs> Because, of course, this thing is a monster, and it just killed Gale, and then you think it's attacking him, and he just turns around, and it's hugging his leg, and he's just so happy to see it. He's just goo-gooing it like it's a little baby. (laughs) So, that's the episode. And, honestly, it's really good. It feels Mm -hmm. like, it really honestly feels like a full horror movie in 20 minutes. It Mm -hmm. has such great music choices that really help the tension without overpowering the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it has, like, really good shots that are just really gorgeous Ins- to look at. Inspired. Yeah. The sets are quite beautiful. What you see of, like, the foyer, the entrance, Gail's room, the little attic, which is very intriguing, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't... So that, the whole episode circles around that little room. Not even... I mean, it does, of course, concentrate on the monster living in it, but it's such a mysterious little room, you know, mm-hmm. and with a tiny little door. You know, of course, the acting is actually really spot on as well. Like, mm-hmm. the actors are pretty good. I don't really know them from a lot of things. I know that Fritz Weaver has been in quite a bit of, like, things, particularly in, like, older movies. He was, like, a real big wig. He was in, like, a lot of things. I mean, I haven't watched him, but he is really good. And, you know, so is she. And, of course, it is actually scary, which mm-hmm. is saying something. This show has not made me cringe or flinch or anything. And this this episode is the first one to make me kind of pull my blanket up a little bit. When I thought, you know, I'm like, oh, God, that rat trap is going to come back into play any second now. Oh, mm-hmm. she's, lift, she's put her hand inside the closet. Uh, you know, that was just, ugh. And not to mention, the monster itself is pretty freaky, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just, oh, well, there's a scary thing that has nothing to do with the scary thing in the episode, but it's scary because of how it's presented. It's, you know, the monster's also scary, too. It's handled in a very terrifying way. Yes, and of course, with Tom Savini directing, he also totally designed that thing. He <laughs> designed uh, Lizzie. Yes, the name of our little... The little critter is Lizzie. Yes, apparently that was the nickname that the... The the crew and the actors came up with. Yeah, they called her Lizzie, and then the The director director. just kind of was like, yeah, you know what, that's Lizzie. That is Lizzie. So it it became a canon name, so we refer to her as Lizzie, even though the episode itself doesn't name her. She is actually referred to as a female, so mm-hmm. at the very least, we know she is a she. But, yeah, Lizzie. So, Zachy, given everything mm-hmm. we know about Dr. Fenner, what do you think Lizzie is? And what are her connections to Dr. Fenner? Well, that's an interesting question, because we don't get a whole lot of information up front about what Lizzie is, and... I believe that there's a, a little bit of information within the episode that hints at a possibility of what she might be. And again, this, there's no definite answer for any of it. Mm-hmm. Considering that he has a fascination with animals 
and preservation of animals. Yeah, well, preservation of their dead bodies. Preservation of their, car- their carcasses. As a veterinary As professor. a veterinary professor, a veterinary scientist. And considering that Lizzie is this bald thing that looks like something that's been sitting in formaldehyde for a long period of time. Well, we wouldn't know I mean, that, but she No, is I'm, very I'm fun just thing. saying that she looks like something that's been just pickling, you know? I feel like Lizzie might be something that may have been some kind of intelligent animal that maybe had something done to it to make it how it is now and possibly given it a very long life as far as we know. Because I feel like there's no mistake of having the taxidermy and the formaldehyde animals there is some level of preservation of something in a period of time going on with this, especially considering how he goo-goos it like a baby for who knows how long that he's had Lizzie. So we didn't actually see any formaldehyde animals. No, see, but he mentions, he mentions them. But I don't know. See, I don't know if she's an experiment. She's very ugly. But, like... I don't know if she was made by him. Like, personally, I think he may have... I don't know. It's, any kind of a, of a guess at what she is, to me, feels like it's reaching far past the information we're given. Yes. Because the information we are given is that he has taxidermy stuff, which, I mean, personally, I believe that is straight up telling you that she's simian in some way. Because not only does she clearly look ape-like, but he also has this interest in apes. He's got that monkey head, which is not an ape, but he's got the monkey head and he's got the ape skulls and then the teeth. Mm -hmm. So as a veterinarian, or veterinarian, whatever the heck he is, he clearly specializes in simians or monkeys slash apes. I'm not an anthropologist or veterinarian. Primates would be the better term. (laughs) Yes, he clearly specializes in that. That's actually all we know. So it's sort of like anything I feel is like so reaching. So I hate to like make up my own theories here. But I I like to think anyway that he might have found her doing a research expedition and then came back with her. She might be either mutated. I don't think she's a normal animal that's mutated. Mm -hmm. I think she is some sort of a mutant creature that is a primate that he just took back home as a pet, I guess, or as a surrogate daughter because his daughter was such a disappointment. I mean, you know, this one will just be a toddler forever. <laughs> Killing toddler, but toddler nonetheless. Mm. You can dress her up and read her little stories. But I have to ask you one more thing about that. Mm. And something that may or may not put a hole in that ship. He says he does all of his work at home. So as far as we know, no, he doesn't he, do excursions. No, no, no. He does work at the at the school. He just says he does. No, a yeah, lot he of does work a lot of his work at home. Yeah, but that's what that's what professors do. That's what administrators do. They bring their work yeah. home. That doesn't mean he never leaves the house because we see him leaving the house constantly. Yeah, he's they go always teach. going to the university. But what I'm what I mentioned was is that he could have gone on a research expedition, particularly if you're a veterinarian person like that. You could have very special trips. Like, okay, this year we have a trip out to a different country or whatever or a different place to do research. Not that he does that often. I don't think he does. He seems too old for that. I don't Mm. think he would do that. But that he at some point had gone on a research expedition. So I don't think that 
shoots a hole in it. I don't I don't believe there's enough evidence for that to even be a solid chipped a solid thing to begin with. It's just water on water here. It, it's, you can't even shoot holes in it because there's nothing solid to begin with. Hmm. But but either way, I do be- I don't believe it at all. I like it. <laughs> but it's something that I would lean more towards as likely because hmm. it's at least physically more possible than bringing something back from the dead. But then again, who knows? Because you know so very little. Mm-hmm. Now, I got another question for you. Oh. This one is surprisingly about Lizzie and Dr. Hmm. Fenner. Oh. We're going to shake it up a bit. Yes. Do you think that Dr. Fenner truly believes that Gail just up and took off and that Lizzie could never do anything wrong ever because she's so sweet and precious and she could never harm a fly? Or do you think he is completely aware that she just committed murder and simply does not care. And before you answer, let me put in several factors that are very important to this. One, he clearly has an issue with his daughter not taking her academics seriously. Like, she went through all the school, but she didn't do anything with it. Mm -hmm. And he also implies that he didn't think Gail was going to take it seriously to begin with either mentioning no loud televisions, no boyfriends tromping about at all hours of the night. Both things sound like... He's projecting. Yeah, like he's... Yeah, exactly. Like he's projecting. That this is what he expects a young college girl to be doing, not really caring about her work. Also, the fact that we actually don't see Gail's body afterwards. Lizzie drags her body into it and there's no blood stains or anything so with those pieces of information that at least i think are kind of important to take into consideration for an answer what do you think fenner thinks i'm gonna say that he most definitely is aware of what's going on Mm -hmm. and he simply doesn't care that lizzie is murdering people simply because of the fact that he is going to tuck lizzie in Meaning, she's, he's going to put her in a bed. Mm-hmm. And the only beds that we get to see that aren't presumably his. We, we don't see any other beds besides Gail's. So I'm assuming he knows that that room is vacant now. And that he is going to use that bed. Mm-hmm. Because I'm pretty sure he's not going to climb into the closet. <laughs> so he's most likely going to be tucking Lizzie into Gail's old bed. And yeah, that's actually a weird thing now that you sort of mention it. That is a giant house. There are several shots of it from the outside. Like, we see it, lights turning on and off from hmm. the outside. It's huge. There is no way that's the only bedroom. Not that... Now, I 100% believe that that is Lizzie's room. So I would agree with that, what you just said. Because hmm. if he's going to tuck her in, and, and Gail was only missing for the morning, or at least the day until the afternoon, like, maybe the mom always got updates from her, so her not calling her told her that something bad must have happened to her. Mm-hmm. But either way, Dr. Fenner knew that Gail was not going to return. Mm-hmm. So he decided to put Lizzie to bed in Gail's bed, right? The, mm-hmm. the room she was renting. And Either way, I kind of think that, narratively speaking, that that makes mo- the most sense that that was Lizzie's room to begin with. First mm-hmm. of all, it would explain why he didn't rent it out ever to like anyone else up until Gail came along and was actually desperate to find a place so he's like begrudgingly giving her this space but also that it was his daughter's room beforehand 
right? So it makes more sense that his sort of replacement daughter would be in his disappointment daughter's room. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, this is the good daughter. She's going to, like... This G-Hank's room. Exa- <laughs> God, I hate that so much. Uh, but, yeah, you know, she's going to go into that room. Not to mention, that's her closet, right? It's filled with her stuff. They had to remove it while Gail was in there. But it would explain why Lizzie is so antagonistic towards Gail. She's in her room, you know? And I also want to mention this, too, that Lizzie walks down the stairs in broad daylight to find Dr. Fenner. I'm assuming he would know that if Lizzie is coming out in broad daylight while she would be home... Well, no, he's on the phone with the mom saying that she's gone and he's not seen her. So it's already clear she's not in the house. Yeah. So it's possible that it's possible that Lizzie had come out while Gail was still there before, but just at college. And maybe he had a day off. She was at college. He could come out. She's not stuck in the attic 24-7. I know, but I think that's a, I think that's an important sign that says, I mean, considering his reaction to that and what he does immediately afterwards kind of tells me that that's just a little bit of confirmation for him saying that Gail's not going to be a problem anymore. (laughs) Which is a bit weird to me. It really doesn't explain his motivations at all. Because... It doesn't seem like he rents that almost ever. He mm-hmm. made it kind of clear that he almost never rents it. I don't know if almost never is actually never. It's, like I said, very unclear. But so it, it's like she doesn't need to eat human meat or anything. She has sharp teeth. She might eat meat, but it doesn't clearly have to be humans or else he would rent it more often, right? Like there's always vacancies here as opposed mm-hmm. to I almost never rent out this room. This room is never on the market because no one likes being here. But he rents out the room very, very unwillingly and is actually kind of mad at Gail for even being there. Like, he kicks her boxes of books when she's unpacking when he straight up didn't need to, you know? And it's not like he wanted Lizzie to to kill her, right? It was supposed to be, like, I guess a temporary setup. Like, I don't understand why he would even rent the room if he didn't want her to be there, but it clearly isn't something that, like, the murder... It doesn't happen often enough for it to be something he was planning to have done in the beginning, which mm-hmm. is kind of why I wondered whether or not he str- he didn't know what Lizzie did, because there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of opportunities for this to have been a thing that happened, right? Mm-hmm. So it just kind of makes you wonder about Dr. Fenner, because you know, why rent the room if you were planning on having a murder just to get your room back like why why do that like why not just she could literally find somewhere else i mean she could just straight up not go to school on time i mean it happens mm-hmm. why do that particularly because i don't think lizzie needs that human meat or else he would again be renting it out and trying to get more victims he clearly doesn't he just doesn't want anyone in that room so why bother and that's sort of like i said the the motivations make a bit more sense if maybe he didn't know and just straight up thought Gail left. Like, oh, she's gone. She probably even coming back either. Eh. At least you have your room back, honey. I don't know, right? It's weird. It, he kind of doesn't make a lot of sense like that. I think I think it's kind of like a whatever happens happens type of thing, where he's like he's not happy about renting out the room if Lizzie killed her, whatever. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't kill her and she just leaves, whatever. Mm-hmm. I get what I want either way which is to get Liz, to get Lizzie back her room. Well, he doesn't 
really get what he wants either way. He doesn't want and her he gets to the be extra there. Current, he gets the extra money for having her there. So I guess. But and as, still... a, as a teacher and as any kind of scientist, that's always necessary. Maybe. But, no, you know what, though? Like, he has this big old house. Like, he's well off. Mm-hmm. He also has this fancy study, his fancy little robe thing. That dude is not poor. <laughs> I don't know how. I mean, he must be working. He says he's a veterinary. It must be, like, I don't know. Maybe he's, like, a like an actual veterinarian at some point. Like, hmm. you know. I don't know if it makes him, like, an actual vet, like a doctor kind of a thing. I don't know. But, well, a veterinarian is somebody who knows physiology of animals, right? Yeah, and they That's, treat animals. Like, they're a doctor for animals. So he's not like a biologist who's just studying the nature of animals. He's studying the physical workings of an animal. Mm-hmm. Which, again, also leads to the idea that maybe Lizzie was either, like, made or... Because maybe well, found, right? maybe Dr. Fenner, maybe some kind of sly nod towards, like, Dr. Frankenstein or something, and that Lizzie is completely invented as uh, a creature. Maybe. Maybe. Again, anything's possible when you have this little information. Again, it's possible that might happen. It's possible that might be it, but there's nothing to confirm that. But I do think it has some kind of importance in there. Especially with the, now they think about it, especially with the taxidermy stuff, where making the dead seem lifelike. I mean, you know, maybe, but but the problem is that there's only two taxidermy things: one's a dog and one's a monkey, and the rest of them are just teeth. Oh, and and, skulls. and the implied formaldehyde rats. But again, which, we don't ugh. see those, and I don't know. But I don't, we know I don't, he has them. I don't feel like that's too much of an emphasis on preserving things. Because, again, most of those things are skulls and teeth. Which, mm. to me, it doesn't seem to be trying to say that he's interested in preservation of animals. In, as much as it is that he's interested in primates, right? As mm-hmm. opposed to, because he's classy, right? We're not just going to hang posters of Jane Goodall on his walls, you know, <laughs> to show that he's into primates. <laughs> We're going to show that he knows what these things are by putting the jaws and stuff on there. Mm -hmm. Because, again, posters on the walls is not fitting to his aesthetic. Uh Uh-huh. So I feel like that's more so what that is. All right. Let me me ask you a question. mm -hmm. I'll I'll ask you a question this time. Do you think Dr. Fenner feeds Lizzie? And if so, what? Uh, I mean... You know, I, I mean, I don't really know. I mean, he clearly does feed her. I mean, he has all those dresses for her. He, he clearly dresses her up, too. He reads her stories. There's no way he doesn't feed her. But uh, I don't know what he would feed her. Her sharp teeth make me think she probably eats, like, meat or fish. Um, yeah, I'm going to say meat or fish. I don't know what else she would possibly eat. But I honestly don't think she probably eats humans. Yeah, I don't um, think that's a regular staple. That's just like a birthday cake. Like, once, once in a long while, you're going to get one of those. But mm-hmm. otherwise, no, that's not on the menu normally. You I know, don't think I, it's probably ever on the menu. I don't know if he, like, nesses. I don't know if she ate her, though. Right? She killed her. Because here's, here's Lizzie's motivations. And hers makes much more sense than Dr. Fenner's. Lizzie is angry that she's been pushed out of her room, some strangers in her room, and she's stuck living in the attic. That's not fair. That's my room. So she kills her. Because I'm assuming Lizzie is basically like a little kid. I mean, mentally, right? She mm-hmm. doesn't understand. So all she knows is she wants this, this intruder out of her room and she's going to get rid of her. I don't actually think she's going to eat her. I think if they wanted to show her being e- eaten, they'd, they'd, they'd imply that more. Like, maybe put blood around Lizzie's mouth as she's come down the stairs. Or have her actually biting her. But she doesn't. Mm. She just scratches her. Considering her sharp, sharp teeth, 
you she should she could be doing that but she doesn't so keep in mind the puppet may not have been able to extend its jaws that far too so I mean, it may be a technical limitation but as they well. could still like turn it around to make it look like they could easily make that thing look like it's biting or you can make something look mm. like it's biting if it doesn't even open its mouth but i don't know i don't, I don't think she ate her i think she just killed her and hit her body in the attic um, you know i had this horrible idea of about about what she might eat Hmm. And I just thought, ugh, what if Dr. Fenner feeds Lizzie the formaldehyde rats? Like, <sighs> since he has them and he says that there's multiple of them that he has, the only rats well, in this house I keep in formaldehyde. Well, for one, he could have been making a joke. But I, now that I think about it, I do want to mention before he leaves my brain, I think she might be like, a, she might be aquatic. She's aquatic. pale. She has, like, webbed fingers. She has very gross, wet eyes. Um, and she's got very sharp teeth. That could be for catching and eating fish. I mean, she's almost like the in's mouth look. Yes. <laughs> but I kind of wonder if she's not supposed to be aquatic or cave-like. Like a troglodyte? Mm-hmm. I was saying that she does definitely seem like a troglodyte with her large eyes her her stumpy little fingers with the little nails and she she seems to carry a lot of like salamander features mm. in terms of like digits like her hands and feet are very stumpy and small though her fingernails are long mm. which is a common trait for grabbing on to smoother objects is a mm. small little fingers and uh her like weird pale smooth skin is very common in troglodytes along with large eyes Hmm. And the sunken in eyes is probably due to primate physiology. And also they have very sharp teeth because of the kind of prey that they catch. Hmm. You know, something that's small and something that they don't want to have get out of their mouths. (laughs) So usually their teeth are small and thin. (laughs) So, yeah. That's horrifying. And considering Lizzie's very large eyes that are also very dilated most of the the time. Like, they're they're very beady, beady pupils. Mm -hmm. So it tells me that she's used to being in amounts of darkness way larger than what's in the bedroom. And her eyes are re her pupils are really small because it's too bright. And she's used to like the pitch black of like the attic space mm-hmm. or whatever. Although she does seem to do pretty well when she goes down the stairs to see her daddy. So it doesn't seem to hurt her eyes. Yeah, but you can tell that she, her eyes might actually dial or dilate far more than we see. Mm, yeah. Given the amount of iris that you <laughs> can see in her eye, which is pink on red, but you know, it, it is a very large space. And I think on the topic of diet, her teeth definitely lend towards eating some kind of meat. Now, it is not a guarantee that she's able to chew it. She might bite chunks off and swallow like a shark, Hmm. considering her teeth is very shark-like. More aquatic. (laughs) But it, it also kind of dictates a kind of method of eating, which is she bites a chunk and she swallows. And some level of digestion happens with it that's aided by something like gastroliths or some kind of really powerful stomach acid or some assistant to chewing that happens in their stomach. Usually for like dinosaurs, that is gastroliths, which are little rocks in their stomach that chew their food for them, you know. And for sharks, they have like tapeworms and they have like... Well, no, tapeworms are parasites. Well, yeah. They would not be helping with digestion. But they have powerful stomach acid. So their food burns down quite a bit 
and tapeworms eat what doesn't end up being digested. But anyway, that's besides the point. I have one final question, Valina. Hmm? And that is relating to the general fandom of Tales from the Dark Side about what they believe Lizzie is and what they believe her relationship is to Dr. Fenner. Now, the common belief is that Lizzie is, in fact, Dr. Fenner's daughter based on how he treats her and the fact that he refers to his daughter's room, and it's very clearly Lizzie's room, that raises the possibility that Lizzie may, in fact, be either the daughter or a daughter of Dr. Fenner. So, I ask you, what do you think about that idea, and do you think it holds any credence? I would say... No. <laughs> uh, I feel like my theories were reaching, but at least were based on some shaky evidence. <laughs> Saying that that's his daughter, like, for, well, if it's if it's his the daughter he was referring to in the beginning, then no, because her name's Margaret. Mm-hmm. And he clearly has a lot of bitterness regarding her. Like, when he talks about her, he's bitter. Oh, I spent all this money on her, and she's wasting her life with her layabout husband painting houses. He's bitter about that. So he didn't just make that up. It was actually Lizzie all along. Like, he did not. That was too bitter. And as if it were his, like, actual biological daughter, then, like, that begs even more questions. (laughs) Uh, And I feel like there's literally no reason to think that that's biologically related to him. I mean, maybe in the way that, like, Frankenstein's sort of the father of the monster, maybe? And I was literally about to bring that point up when you came to to a close. That also adds a bit of, like, validity to that, I guess, Mm -hmm. if you want to consider the Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, father-son kind of relationship. But, I mean, like, there is no such thing as a father-son relationship with him. But what I'm saying is, is that by technicality of a creation of someone, it would be to some extent their child, right? Well, I mean, I, I, but I feel like the way you mentioned the fandom believing these things that that's his literal daughter. I, I don't believe that at all. Honestly, I think that's like an animal he found, or not even an animal, like a creature. Like it's it's maybe sentient. It's hard to tell, but sentient enough, I guess, that he found and has just like adopted as a daughter. But it's not related to it. Like this is mm. his replacement daughter. Like Margaret was a failure. She's a painting houses. I'm so ashamed. But she's this this one is gonna be a child forever, you know, I can have her forever and like a pet that stays like a puppy forever. <laughs> but like a kid. I don't mean to don't really mean to insult other people's head cannons. <laughs> you can think whatever you want. Like I said, my own theories are reaching here. There's just no evidence for that. And I don't I simply don't get behind believing in something with zero evidence, particularly mm-hmm. if it's actually actively against what we are what little we are presented with mm-hmm. so i for sure do not believe she's actually margaret and i mean just given what she looks like i don't believe she's biologically related to dr fenner either yeah i think dr jeff i think dr fenner's gene pool would have dried up real bad if that is his next offspring <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> So, I do have another question that's pretty important. Hmm. Since you love your five-star rating system, where would you place Inside the Closet? I would have to say I'm going to give it a four and a half stars. Ooh, our highest yet. Yes, it has really good acting, really good sets, 
the music, and I, I really rarely notice that unless it's really bad or really good. Mm-hmm. It has really good music, really good choices there, really good shots, really good special effects. I mean, mm-hmm. it's Tom Savini. What, could you, what do you expect? It's really wonderful to look at. It is actually scary. It is a great little horror episode. It really, really is. It's a mini horror movie just packed into one neat 20 minutes. It does a really great job. So, yeah, it deserves a good score. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that because this is one of the best episodes of the series. So good it is on the cover of the box set. Yes, it has uh, Lizzie, Lizzie is poking out of the door. and a big old grin on her face. A big old grin. And she's just looking happy as ever coming in from outside. And it's a really, really dreary looking outside. But she's coming into a nice welcoming home. With her loving daddy. <laughs> so, Zachy, tell me, what is the next episode in our lineup of Tales from the Dark Side? Uh, this one, and a, what a way to follow up a great episode, <laughs> is the word processor of the gods. And in case that uh, title sounds familiar, it's based on a short story by Stephen King, which would make you think it's actually good. It's not. It is It's not. not. We're going to spoil that right now. It ain't. It ain't. It is one of the worst ones, I think. And w- just what a way to follow up such an amazing episode is to follow it up with such a disappointing episode that's just feeble in every department. Yeah, I I can't even judge the actual short story it's based on, even though I read it, because I don't actually remember what happens in it. That's got to say something, Yeah, if you don't remember what happened in Stephen King's story. I don't remember it being particularly bad, I just don't remember it being particularly good. Like, there's a lot of Stephen King short stories that really stood out to me, and that just simply wasn't one of them. But yeah, that is a a nightmare for another time. Yeah, for next time. So, where do you find us in this small closet that we call the internet? <laughs> well, you can find us on Instagram at This House Podcast. And if you want to get into contact with us, you can email us at thishousepodcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes. So that way we don't have to get dragged into a closet ourselves. Yeah, ripped apart by a horrible little creature <laughs> with disgusting red eyes. Please, little red eye, scare us. Don't let it take us away. Well, that's about it for tonight, folks. So, listeners, before Lizzie comes out of the closet to get ya, get get out out of of our house. house! Pretty little girl. Mm, yes, you're so beautiful. <laughs> what? I don't know. What am I going to do with? <laughs> I'm going to tell you a nice story. We're just going to go upstairs and I'm going to tuck you into bed and I'm going to tell you a, yeah, a nice little story. Would you like that? Mm, you want to go upstairs? Oh, come on, I'll take you. Yes, give me a hug. Yes. There we go, we'll go upstairs now. Yeah. Not upstairs. Take you to bed, that's right. We'll go up to bed. <laughs>
Now I'll tell you a nice story. How would that be? Would you like a nice story? Hmm? Would you like a nice story? Yeah.